Yeah, I think you I think you put it so eloquently, right? I mean, you know, I realized very quickly that I did not have the skill set uh, to manage the emotions, you know, analyze the emotions, you know, develop that growth mindset, you know, analyze the problems, you know. So it took me a long time to understand this and start, you know, taking control first of my own understanding of money, of my own financial, uh, you know, relationship with money and then start planning uh, towards, uh, you know, financial mastery. So, and it is a process. I don't think it's something that's going to happen in one minute or even a week or a month, you know. I'm a physician, but yet I'm so ignorant. And that's how I, I realized that our training makes us very tunneled vision. And, and the reason I bring this up, which comes back to your point, a lot of my, a lot of my colleagues feel trapped. How's my financial health doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Okay, welcome back everybody to uh, How Is My Financial Health Doc Podcast, and I'm your host, Vuke Tran. Today, we have a uh, specialist with us today, and I mean specialist in uh, many aspects. Um, he is a specialist. <laughs> in fact, he's a physician. Uh, he is a pediatric hemonk uh, who practices in Halifax. And I'm talking about Dr. Ketan Kokarni. And um, Ketan and I kind of met on LinkedIn after he was on another podcast, and I really, really enjoyed what he was talking about. And um, Ketan was very um, insightful in what he was saying. And uh, if you have seen him on LinkedIn, you will you will know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so today where I'm taking this opportunity to maybe pick his brain and, and understand some of the insights that he can provide us. And this particular podcast is more philosophical, more more uh you know reflexive and i want i want people to take away from this podcast not not more so much of you know didactic learning like i i you know we we are very we're very exposed to you know you go to a conference and you sit down and they tell you recipe a abc and you should do ayz to improve your patient's outcome well this particular podcast is not about do abc to improve your personal outcome. This is really meant for reflection, meant for deep thinking, and maybe rethinking how you think about things and how you think about your own personal finances. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ketan Kokarni. Thank you, Wu. It's, it's, re it's a real pleasure to be here and uh, share some of my experiences and also learn from you uh, as we enter this journey. Yeah. Very well. So I've, I've introduced you as him pediatric him onk in Halifax but you know that's not a very good introduction it's, it, <laughs> it definitely does not says everything about you so tell us a little bit more about you but also you're a physician like like me and like many of my listeners 
tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you come to where you are now? Because, you know, I, I mentioned about your LinkedIn post. I mentioned about your own personal financial journey. Let us through some of what you have um, learned throughout your, your life to get to where you are now. Share that with us a little bit. Yeah, 100%. You know, and uh, I think your first question is amazing because like, you know, the 100,000 other physicians in Canada and the million other in North America, you know, I started as a really good, you know, A plus grade or whatever, 4.3, whatever GPA student with the intention of becoming a physician, changing the world, you know, doing my best for the patients and, you know, trained for the 14 years and, you know, started my clinician researcher role. And five years later, you know, I had my first promotion, you know, I had my growing family, I had, you know, my first house and, you know, making a little bit of money. And I found myself burnt out, you know, it was it was a huge identity shift that happened following that, that, you know, I said, well, you know, according to the society's parameters of success, I have tried to do everything uh, that I'm supposed to do and everything I'm told to do. And yet I feel weird, you know, and uh, that uh, helped me really seek out training. And I did a lot of leadership training, which then introduced me to coaching. And that was a game changer. And it helped me really deep think about the way I think and, you know, my uh, biases and, you know, my uh, my challenges, my baggage that I that I had to process. Uh, and then I became a certified coach myself. And then as I started aligning myself, I realized that I was pigeonholed into this narrow identity. I mean, it's nothing wrong to be a physician or a subspecialist or whatever. It's a great identity. But that's not necessarily only the only identity we need to chase. You know, I knew that I was after a broader identity of a human being, an excellent human being who's also an excellent physician. I'll take them step by step here. You mentioned about, you know, our whole ourselves, not just us as physicians, us as a person, as a father, as a brother, as a husband. So we're not just physicians. Um, and unfortunately, in our training, uh, it, it is very tunnel vision. Our training is very tunnel vision. And I, I realized that only as I was doing my MBA. Yeah. I, yeah. I realized how tunneled vision we are in our training. We only talk about medicine and pills and pharmacodynamics and, and you know, whatever you want to talk about in medicine. But when when I sit around with other people and we're having dinner, you know, especially if you sit around with other physicians, we talk shop. I, I think that's natural. But <laughs> but when I sit down with other people who are not in medicine, I have no clue what they're talking about, right? Wow. They're talking about geopolitics. They're talking about signs. You know what? I feel so embarrassed when I hear people talk about wine. Yeah. And I know nothing about wine, you know? Yeah. And that's when I realized, oh my God, I am yeah. so ignorant. I'm a physician, but yet I'm so ignorant. And that's how I, I realized that our training makes us very tunneled vision. And and the reason I bring this up, which comes back to your point, a lot of my a lot of my colleagues feel trapped. Yeah. Because um obviously. I'm in emergency medicine. A lot of my colleagues are in emergency medicine. And you know how devastating it is in frontline medicine, especially yeah. emergency medicine. Well, especially COVID, right? I mean, you guys really got the short end of the stick there. You know, I mean, was... Absolutely. Absolutely. And and there, and I would, you know, if you read the report, uh, the, the article from 2019, 
80, 87% of emergency physicians across Canada are burnt out. Wow. 87, right? That's that's crazy. So it was crazy, but 87% is insane. Right. It's insane. So a lot of my colleagues are feeling burnt out and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Because if they stop practicing emergency medicine, they have nothing to fall on. And and that is because we've been so tunneled vision in our training, we haven't developed the other part of ourselves. Yeah, uh, we have abandoned our law, our, our hobbies. We've abandoned our other passion. We've abandoned the other side of our identity. And so, yep. if I'm no longer an emergency doctor, what am I? Uh, it's a very very existence existential question that uh, many of us cannot answer. Yeah, and you know, just to highlight, I mean, we are no way saying that don't be the physician that you are meant to be or trained to be. And most of us are trained so, so well, right? I think it's a highly coveted, valuable skill set. I think the question that's very fundamental, like you said, that's existential crisis question is that can we be a fulfilled, flourished person who then as a consequence is a good doctor and not vice versa? That, you know, if you absolutely an identity often whatever emerged doc in a tertiary care center who's a clinician researcher, CIHR funded, whatever, but have, doesn't have good health and good relationships and good hobbies and you know something to look forward to and is 87% chance of burnout. Well, that doesn't paint a very good picture, does it? I mean, that's a very concerning, urgent question to handle. It's, it's, it's very devastating. And another point you made is, you know, learning, learning about yourself from inside out and not from outside in. And, and unfortunately, in our training, we've always learned ourselves from outside in, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I get feedback from my preceptors, I get feedback from my mentors, I get feedback from my, you know, my teachers, etc. from my patients, and I'm worried about my, my scores and whatnot. But when was the last time I had to look deep into myself and, and know thyself? You can't do any financial planning, financial wealth with, without knowing thyself first. Yeah, it is so important. I mean, I'm I'm hoping and I'm wishing that one day in future, this becomes part of the curriculum. You know, this becomes part of the process that, you know, we don't just train people to be whoever, electrophysiology, cardiologist, whatever it is, but become, you know, well-trained physicians. And this is part of the training that, you know, they they really are able to, reflect on who they are and then amalgamate that with who they want to be. Well, it's very interesting because we are professionals. Uh, we self-direct. Yeah. We we control to an extent our professional life. We're we're not we're not an employee. Um, we don't take a salary from the hospital. At least many of us don't. So we get to dictate our own professional journey. But we've never been taught Mm-hmm. how to do it properly right. and, but yet we we can and we should yeah and so but we've never been properly taught how to do so so coaching uh finding a coach is is absolutely i think crucial yeah i think you i think you put it so eloquently right i mean you know i realized very quickly that i did not have the skill set uh to manage the emotions you know analyze the emotions you know develop that growth mindset you know analyze the problems you know resolution of conflict, you know, crucial communication, you know, and like that skill set really needed to be developed. I mean, it's it's something that's a lifelong training, but, you know, we need to bring it up in everybody to a certain level. 
because that's only that's when we'll really start experiencing fulfillment, you know, and authenticity and, you know, really feel as if we are full to the brim, you know, but with positivity, you know, not with toxicity. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now let me try to tie this back into, you know, the core of my podcast, which is personal finance. And you've alluded to this many times already. So let's talk about growth mindset. Let's talk about scarcity, scarcity, scarcity mindset. Sorry, I'm having trouble today. Scarcity <laughs> mindset. Let's talk about knowing thyself and our own personal journey. So maybe share with us your own personal financial journey, maybe very short. And then we'll talk a little bit about the financial journeys of most of our colleagues. You know, how does that happen? And where are the different traps that you and I have seen people go down? Let's let's just start with that. Wow, that's that's a that's a phenomenal question. I think that's a I haven't been asked that one before, so I really like the question. Uh, so I think you know I'm going to start with you know I've been asked by Kevin MD and others to write a few articles recently, and you may have seen some of them. So the fundamental question, and I'm going to go sort of start forward and go backward. So the fundamental question is. What does money mean to you or what does money mean to me? And I think most of us get that wrong. You know, uh, most of us think that, you know, it's the pursuit of wealth. You're going to make X million dollars in your life and that's your retirement fund and this and that and everything else. Or I want to be a multimillionaire. Some people say that. Other people say, I don't care about money. I'll let somebody else manage that. So I think it's about fundamentally defining what money is and then what money means to you. So I think there's abundant data to suggest that money is a means goal. It's a means goal to your end goals, which include your health, your lifestyle, you know, your work, your relationships, your whatever, spiritual journey, your travel, everything that you want to do. But money is the resource that is going to fund all of those. And that is why I think we need to fundamentally explore and understand how we ourselves look at money and you know really explore what your authentic goals are based on knowing thyself that you said and this is so crucial i think because you know in my coaching journey and experience i'll be brutally honest you know i get asked this question all that so what what do people ask you all the times it's not so much career and all that you know people like you said are self-directed like eight out of eight sometimes nine out of ten questions are about finances you know the people say well i've got x amount of money where do i invest uh, how much money do i need to retire how much money do I save every month? You know, what are these investment classes? Or, you know, what should money mean to me? You know, how much money should I make? You know, should I work harder? It's always around the financial realm that people ask. So I think it's, in my experience, at least in the physician world, there's never been a better time to really deep dive into finances. And it doesn't mean you've got to get an MBA or, you know, become a finance master, but it's really about exploring and understanding your relationship with money. Uh, and it's, uh, at least in my experience, so many of us have either not explored that relationship, it's very underdeveloped, or frankly speaking, you know, we don't have a healthy relationship with money. You know, we automatically assume that money is bad, you know, it's not needed, we shouldn't be after money, you know, it's a service job. Of course, it's a service job, you know, we're serving others for making the health better. But we are getting compensated for it. And, you know, if, if we are like most other people, we are not going to live off the grid. We are going to need a certain amount of money to fund our lifestyle. So it took me a long time to understand this and start, you know, taking control first of my own understanding of money, of my own financial, uh, you know, 
relationship with money and then start planning uh, towards uh, you know financial mastery so and it is a process i don't think it's something that's going to happen in one minute or even a week or a month you know in my experience you know people who are living that kind of financial independence uh, you know ir irrespective of the number you know i don't think the number matters so much it could be 50000 100000 or a million or 10 million you know whatever it is but once they are living their ideal lifestyles and have a healthy relationship with money i don't think the rest matters you know they don't care why jeff bezos is making so many million per year or that this entrepreneur is making so much money or somebody else who's a social entrepreneur is living off $40000 a year you know it, it really is identifying what your authentic self wants needs requires uh you know, in terms of your ideal lifestyles to finance it, and then crafting a financial journey that's going to be concordant. And it can evolve over time, you know, it's not like it's set in stone, but I think it's really high time that all our colleagues put in this effort, you know, take the first step towards sort of mastering this, you know, at least ask yourself, you know, what is your ideal lifestyle? How much should it cost, you know? And it's not that difficult to figure out, right? I mean, all of us know that, you know, the average Canadian household income is about $80,000, you know, and in, in the current inflation era, that's not a lot of money, right? I mean, if people who are physicians, you know, they have a lot of debt, you know, they're working long hours, they are, it's not very difficult to figure out what is a good amount of income in Canada. But, but I think, you know, we need to talk about it, right? I think we need to discuss the numbers, you know, I mean, Canada is so diverse, you know, a, a job that makes X amount of dollar maybe way better than the job that makes two, two X amount of dollars, depending on the effort involved and depending on the night calls involved. And so it's such a complicated phenomenon that, you know, as a physician community or as a professional community, we need to come out and really take charge of our financial journeys. And I think, I think step one is to take the self-responsibility that we need to at least examine critically our finances and our financial journey. And you may not want to manage your investments and all that, that's a whole different scale. But even if we take a critical look at exploring our finances, exploring our financial journey, our relationship with money, I think that's a lot of mileage gained right there. I mean, you've, you've said a lot of things and I, I agree with all of them. I'm just going to add a few more color to it. You know, we have a very bad relationship with money because we don't understand what money is. Uh, we think money is the end all and be all where it, it's not. You mentioned money is a tool. And and I've been saying this and many people are saying this. Money is just a tool to take you to your goal. So that's the one misconception. The the other misconception is you, you've said it as well. When I ask my colleagues and my peers, hey, how, how are you doing? How are the finances? What are you thinking about doing, you know, in the next 30 years, you know? And the first thing they said, well, I invested in this. No, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> I didn't ask you what you were investing in or what stocks or what Spotify or what crypto you bought. What I'm asking is, you know, what is your overall goal? You know, yeah. what is what is it that you want to achieve? You know, it's more and you know, think about it. It's more an airy fairy type of question, but it's really drives to the goal and and how you're going to get to the goal and money is just a tool to get there money is not dirty money is not bad money is not good money doesn't make you happy what makes you happy is achieving your goal money yeah. itself doesn't make you happy so i hear a lot of people say money doesn't buy happiness that's wrong money does buy happiness if you achieve your goal <laughs> money itself doesn't buy happiness there's a lot of misconception uh, and misidea about money 
you said something as well is um, it's not the how, right? The how is when do I invest? When do I jump into the market? When do I get out of the market? Should I buy Spotify? Should I buy Tesla? It's not about the how. It's about why. Yeah, it's the why. Why right. am I doing this? That's why awesome. am I doing this? No, I love I love Simon Sinek when he started with that. I'm like, that's an amazing question. And and finally, you said something that I think we'll have to people need to reflect on this. And that is the 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 question of knowing thyself. I I, I was the first one to say my MBA did nothing for me in terms of personal finance. You did your MBA, your mini MBA. And at the end of the day, do you know how to manage your finances? No, I, I don't. I know how to manage corporate finance. Okay, fair enough. But I don't know how to manage my personal. I had to learn. It took me eight to 10 years to do this, to learn how to do personal finance. But what I'm trying to say is, and, and you've, <laughs> you've probably heard this many times because I hear it every single day. Um, Dr. Tran, I know my body. I know best my body. I know how I feel but you're still not a doctor. You still need me to diagnose. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm the same way. I, I know where my pain points are. I know what I need to pay. I, I know what type of lifestyle I need, but mm -hmm. I still can't manage my money because I'm not an expert. Yeah. And if I want a pediatric hemonk, I'm not going to go to my accountant, <laughs> right? If I want to manage, if I want to manage my money properly, I'll go to my financial planner. If I wanted to manage this pediatric uh, anemia, I'll go to a hemopedic hemonk. Um, and so while I understand my own personal pain points, I still don't know what I don't know and I need the expertise. And so that's very important to realize, yes, we need to take control of our finances, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have to manage everything. No, no. I mean, especially when it comes to taxation and, you know, uh, estate planning and complicated transactions, you know, capital gains tripping and all like it's it's complicated, right? I mean, you you can take it to a certain level, but then you are going to need uh, advanced expertise, you know, absolutely, you know, not to undermine. I think the value of a good financial planner is same as value of a physician in our lives that, you know, they, they are able to really use, you know, sophisticated uh, tools to to figure out some questions and it can make a big difference, right? I mean, if your tax planning and you know proper corporate planning is not up to the mark, then it, it could be a real problem on the other end when you're trying to you know use your assets or this and that. So I, I agree so much. You know, I mean, this is this is a great topic for a for an entire conference. You know, I, I know we're gonna we have some great initiatives coming up, but we'll we'll keep our audience intrigued uh, about those as time time comes. But uh, I think the take home really for me is that that first few steps is very, very important that, you know, we need to sort of take the responsibility and not just ignore it or defer it to somebody else that, you know, I, I'm not going to look at this kind of thing. So let's, let's dive into that because that's a good segue. We were going to talk about, you know, cognitive traps, um, cognitive bias that physicians that you and I have seen make. So I'll let you start, uh, share with us, what are some of the traps that you've seen a lot of your colleagues and peers have made in relation to, you know, their own personal finance? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's again, you know, you've got some phenomenal questions there. So I think the common ones, maybe I'll talk only about two or three so that it's, uh, it's more impactful. I mean, the first, you know, I was actually recently asked to write a chapter about this. The first is the if then hypothesis, right? I mean, most of us feel that if I achieve X, Y, Z, or if I 
make X million dollars. If I do this, that, and whatever else, then I will be happy. I think it's the biggest trap, right? I mean, so many people feel, well, when they become the emeritus professor, that's when they have achieved enough and they'll be happy. You know, when they go to the next vacation, they'll be happy. I think we, we as humans, this is, this is a protective mechanism, right? I mean, and mind is constantly telling us that that's the next goalpost, you know, to achieve. That's the next thing to achieve. As physicians, we are achievers, right? So I think it's very common for us to fall into that arrival fallacy trap that, you know, when I become the well-known national subspecialist in this area, I'm going to be very, very happy as a recognized person. I mean, that's all great, you know, go do all of that. But you don't have to postpone your fulfillment and happiness to that particular goal. Uh, because, you know, uh, we just know that when you get to that goal, it's going to mean that the goalpost moves and you want to become the international expert or make twice the money or publish twice the papers or whatever else that the new goal may be, the new shiny object may be. Uh, the, second, uh, the second trap I often find, uh, you know, physicians kind of fall into is, is the hyperachiever, right? I mean, but the hyperachiever is not in all areas of life. You know, it often is in one territory of life. You know, they like it's it's like we see a lot of people are married to their work, right? They are workaholic and twenty four seven, all about work. And we we often tend to maybe it's the culture um, that we have come to that you know we put these things on pedestal, right? I mean, we if you leave on time, you're you're not a good enough doctor. You know, if you took the weekend off and didn't respond to the email, you're not a good enough doctor. You know. If you didn't publish 10 papers a year, you didn't have a good year. So we've we've had these, you know, arbitrary goal, goals set up, you know, or intangible goals that have been set up. And we celebrate those when data actually suggests that reasoned pursuit of enough is far more important. You know, I think that's that's a that's a key goal that's that's important. And then, you know, a third trap we commonly see people fall to is keeping up with the Joneses, right? I mean. I knew somebody actually, it's not even a joke, you know, somebody was actually building a pagoda in their backyard because somebody they knew had a pagoda in their backyard it's because they had to look that good, right? I mean, of course, they were they were physician. And I mean, maybe that's very important for them, but it's just to highlight that, you know, a lot of people end up buying the BMW because, you know, their colleague drives a BMW or they buy the boat and, you know, the whatever uh, plane or, you know, whatever uh, cottages or whatever else it is. Without having a plan, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with buying any of those, but it needs to be part of the plan that's appropriately vetted. You know, if you're uh, well versed enough yourself, then you can decide how that fits into your big picture plan. You know, if, let's say if somebody is a sailor, has always been a sailor, well, it makes sense for them to buy their twenty, thirty thousand dollar boat because they're going to enjoy that hobby or you know use it appropriately through the year. And as long as they're not really impacting their investments and, you know, primary home and their health and relationships, it's okay. It's totally okay. But, you know, just buying it so that you look good and you have the club's membership is is a huge waste of time, right? I mean, things add up over time or, you know, if you're going to use your cottage twice a year, well, you're better off renting it. You know, that way it's not locked up and empty and doesn't need the repairs. Like this, so many of these examples, right? I mean, a lot of people buy the most expensive they, home they can buy and then, you know, fall prey to the, uh, you know, house poor phenomenon, because a lot of your spendable income is now going towards your primary home, which shouldn't be used as an investment vehicle, right? I mean, it's, it's a common thing in Canada to think that primary home is an investment vehicle, but I mean, the abundant data suggests it's not. Uh, and then, you know, there's so many other financial traps that 
you know, instead of building a plan, uh, a lot of us, you know, our expenses quickly catch up to our income and then it's money in and money out. So, you know, we could go on and on about all these, all these traps, but I think uh, those are maybe three or four of the big ones that I wanted to mention. That those are those are good traps. I have listed four. Uh, there's obviously more than four, but I those are the fours that I think are very very prominent among physicians. And one of them was exactly what you said: uh, following the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses. And what I wrote was: what works for him or her may not work for me. So you you mentioned, um, and I see this all the time. It's it's un it's uh, unbelievable. You know, I have colleagues who come out of practice in their first five years of practice. They're swimming in debt. They're swimming in in um, student loans. Um, they don't know where North is. They don't know where South is. But they got their uh, they got their Mercedes Benz for sure. And everybody wants to buy in Forest Hill or everybody wants to buy in Oakville. And you're from Halifax. You don't know what that means, but it's the most it's the most expensive place in in Toronto. Um, and and I don't know where that would be in Halifax. Yeah, I mean, it's like, for example, the peninsular properties are like that. I mean, I helped actually a few friends buy houses in Toronto, so I'm quite well versed with the general area. And you're right. I mean, you know, sometimes it's a necessity, but other times it's just kind of to, to look good, you know. So I think it's yes. Just, well, you you can't you can't buy a house in the peninsula and drive a Kia, right? You you have to you have to drive at least a Land Rover at least. Right. And then and then you can't drive a Land Rover and your kids go to public school. No, they have to go to private school. And when you invite people into the home, you can't have IKEA furniture. You're yeah. gonna have expensive furniture, right? And it goes on and on and on and on. And this is the hedonic yeah. treadmill that people go on to uh for the rest of their life. And instead of like, was the one that was gonna be that it's a hedonic treadmill, and you know, all that happens is you're gonna Keep buying more stuff. Exactly, and you were and you were right in saying that we don't know what we don't know. So who do we mirror? Who do we emulate? Well, we emulate our preceptors. Um, your new, brand new resins will try to emulate you, of course, because you're successful. You portray success, so they want to be successful, of course. But they don't know your challenges. They don't know your journey. They don't know what you've gone through to get to where you are. And so, you know, medicine is truly see one, do one, teach one, yeah. right? That's medicine. <laughs> see one, do one, teach one. That's that's how I learned how to do a defibrillation. That's how I learned how to do a lumbar yeah. puncture. And that's how I learned how to manage my money. Yeah. But it's really, it's really a, a bad technique, a bad strategy. Because if I'm, if I'm seeing what my, you know, preceptor who's been working for the last 20 years and went through hardship and is now finally finally successful. I can't try to emulate success within five years, right? Yeah. And and so we as physicians are not doing our younger colleagues uh, um, any service by teaching them the wrong thing, and we yeah. have to tell them. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you know, like I know some people who have Versace furniture, but they have the asset level and the value and you know the cash flowing assets that supply that kind of income. So I think you're going to have, if you don't already have it, you're going to have to get there if you want that kind of lifestyle. And you cannot have that lifestyle at the expense of everything else and dig a deeper hole for yourself. Like, I think that's the take home message that, you know, nothing, we're not criticizing, you know, perceived luxurious lifestyle. Everybody has their own definition of luxury and comfort. 
But whatever is the choice, I think we have to figure out how that fits in and how you're going to supply for it. Like if you're working 90 hour weeks to supply the Versace furniture, I mean, eventually it's going to crash and burn. Right. And the Versace furniture will still strip away and, and deteriorate, right? And so what do you have to show for other than the 90 hours of work, alcoholism and never know your children, right? That's that's temp- what tends to happen. The other, the other uh, trap that I see all the time, and you, you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong, is not understanding the, the meaning of value. Okay, so we understand what cost is, but we don't understand value. Yeah. Um, so a lot of us will say, "Well, I'm just going to buy term insurance because it's the cheapest." Or I'm going to do DIY because it's it's very little money. I, I don't have to pay too much fees. I'm not saying you have to pay a lot of fees. And I'm not saying there's no benefit in not paying a lot of fees. Yeah. What, I'm, what I'm saying is you have to weigh against your benefit. So yeah. it makes no sense for me to buy a bowl at a penny if I'm never going to use that bowl ever again. Yeah. versus I'll buy a bowl at $5 because it's a nice bowl. I'll use it all the time and it's functional and and I'm, I can show it to my colleagues and to my wife and to my you know guests. But if I buy a bowl at a garage shop for a penny, well, what use of, do I have for that bowl? And so a lot of us will fall prey to the God of cost and not understand value. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is this is a just to add, I, I totally agree. You know, I mean, value is such a critical concept, right? I mean, I learned a lot of concepts around value uh, in my art, uh, you know, in the pursuit of my art world interest. You know, I mean, I have a big interest in Canadian art and some international art too, you know, and this is a great way to explain, right? I mean, let's say you walk into a gallery uh, and you buy a painting for $1,000 and then next day you don't like it and you want to go sell it you know, good luck, you know, I mean, the painting is suddenly only worth 300 bucks. So there's a difference between the cost that the gallery charged you and the auction value of the painting, you know, and it often, it's mind blowing, right? I mean, uh, you know, when I started my art journey and collecting and meeting other collectors, you know, it baffled me, right? Like, how can I I pay a thousand dollars for something that's only worth $300? And yet it's an acceptable common phenomenon that, you know, we, there's a, all I'm trying to highlight is that there's a huge mismatch between the value and the cost. You know, some things are infinitely more valuable than the cost we pay for them, like certain types of insurance. And the other things, which are often depreciating things, you know, depreciating assets, often cost infinitely more than the value they have in the long term. So it really behooves of us to really understand what's valuable in our life and how how do we surround ourselves with things that truly carry meaning and value i see a lot of people who listen to you know uh financial gurus uh whether people listen to me or not or whether they think i'm a guru or not is is not the issue but there are other gurus out there that, that says who says you know uh never have debt and and yet debt could be a wealth builder never uh never buy whole life insurance because whole life insurance is bad well there are reasons why people should buy term and there are reasons why people should buy whole life. Everybody's different uh, based on their goals in life. Always do DIY, never, never hire a financial planner. 
um, and we can, and that doesn't work for everybody. Uh, and so the price that we pay, if we get enormously more than there's value and that cost of entry is valuable. And so it's not just the cost we should look at is what do you get at the end? That's valuable. So that's one common, one common trap that I see a lot. The other common trap that I see a lot, and I speak about it gingerly in my podcast because I don't want to offend anybody and it's not meant to offend anybody. It is meant to have people reflect on this. And what am I talking about? As physicians, because we don't play in the financial industry, we, we clearly don't. We have a very, very difficult time understanding people's expertise and people's limitations. Yeah. I ask them all the time, would you want to do X, Y, Z things in finance? And the first question they tell me is, I'm going to talk to my advisor yeah, or I'm going to talk to my accountant. Do you think that your accountant knows about what I'm talking about? And they assume they do because that accountant is in finance, right? Yeah. Does finances, does, does taxes. But little do we know that there are different types of accountants. 100%. There are general accountants, there are bookkeepers, there are tax accountants, there are forensic accountants. They, they're not all trained the same. Like physicians are not all trained the same. So, you know, I, a lot of a lot of lay people think that we're all created the same. So they'll come to me and say, hey, Vu, I've got this little kid or my little son or my daughter uh, has this particular anemia. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a family doctor, right? Uh, I don't know pediatric hemonk. <laughs> I'll refer to pediatric hemonk, right? Or they'll come to me and say, what are the different things I can do for this, you know, big, huge staghorn calculus in my kidney? Well, you know what? I'm not the expert in that. I'll refer you to the urologist, right? I'll refer you to whoever I need to refer to. I'm not going to send an arthritic knee to an ophthalmologist. No. But but the, the lay person thinks that we're all doctors, that we all do the same thing. And we have the exact same notion for accountants. Yep. And we think that my accountant knows everything about taxes. No, they don't. They think that my accountant knows everything about insurance. No, they don't. No. They think that my accountant knows everything about investment. No, they don't. It no, depends they don't. on what specialty they have. And it's very funny that we adopt the exact same, which I think it's it's understandable we're human that we adopt the same notion that our patients have about us. And that's a very, very common trap that I see among my peers. No, I, I think that's a phenomenal comment because, you know, you're so right, right? I mean, I've knocked so many different doors to learn about so many different things and then draw my own conclusions. But, you know, the challenge around this has been that access to that quality information is not easy, right? I mean, that's why there's so much uh, info out there about like the couch potato style of investing and you know the ETF style investing and do it yourself and all of that. That definitely works for some people, but it's not the one-stop shop for everybody, right? I mean, we cannot say that everybody should do that. There's no data to prove that or support that. In fact, it can be dangerous to follow that kind of advice, you know, depending on your situation. So I think one of our jobs as a community, as you know, influencers or content creators, whatever you want to call it, is to have these platforms for these transparent discussions and good advice so that, you know, people can then, you know, have that table of options for them and say, okay, well, you know, I want to go with this and that or whatever. 
you you bring up two points. One, physicians are busy, but you know I want the audience to understand we are not the only people who are busy. Hundred percent. Right. Accountants are busy. Lawyers are busy. Hell, my secretary is busy. Right. She has to come to work. She has to go home, deal with her children, her husband, whatever else she needs to deal with. So, you know, when physicians say that we are busy, I get it. I understand it. I'm busy myself, but we're definitely not the only one. No, no, hundred percent. You know, that's that's a whole separate discussion on what busy means. But, <laughs> <laughs> but coming back to your other point, if we are not the one taking control of our finances, who will? Yeah, no, nope, nobody will. Nobody no, will. Not at all. As as much as I have an accountant, as much as I have a financial planner, as much as I have a lawyer, a tax lawyer, a real estate lawyer, nobody will deal with my finances. I'm not saying manage. I'm saying taking control yeah. of my finances better than me. And if I don't do it, then who's going to pay for it? Myself, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I tell my patients all the time, you need to stop smoking. I'm not going to make you stop. And I'm not going to be at your house holding your hand every time you put a your hand to your pocket trying to take a cigarette. I'm not there to do that for you. So you have to do it for yourself because at the end of the day, you're the one suffering from it with the stroke, the heart attack, the cancer and all that. So if you don't do that for yourself, nobody will. And in medicine, we understand that. Like we live with that every single day, but yet we don't, we don't understand that we have to take control of our own personal finance if we want to be financially independent and secure. But why would I want to be financially independent and secure? Because it is a tool to lead to my lifestyle, mm -hmm. but also it is a tool for me to avoid burnout. Yeah, absolutely. There's an actual physical benefit to it. Yeah. And if we don't do it, who well will do it? And I can't procrastinate and say, yeah, I don't have the time. I don't know it. Is it worth spending the time to learn about it? Yes. Do I have to be an expert? No. Um, are there people out there who can help me? The answer is yes. 100%. Yeah. So this comes to my final cognitive trap and is the trap of overconfidence. Yeah. The overconfidence bias. I'm a physician. Actually, I operate on brains. I operate on people's heart. I'm a medonk. I, I cure people from cancer. I can do it all. In fact, I can almost walk on water. Yeah. Right? And that's how we feel in medicine. And we feel that way across all aspects of our life. I call it the do-it-all bias, right? I mean, so 100%. I mean, we acknowledge in medicine that we cannot do it all, yet we counterintuitively assume that we would be able to do it all in our own personal lives. So I think the bias there is that if we take care of our job and do the best job at our job, everything else will fall in its place. So I think that's that's huge bias. Huge bias. And and again, if if we have we suffer from this overconfidence bias, then we think we can do it all, or I think I will do it all. But you know, you if you don't know what you don't know, you're gonna make lots of mistakes like I did. <laughs> I, I made so many mistakes, it's not even it's not even funny. But we end up shooting ourselves in the foot. If we need the expertise, there's a cost to it. But the cost, the question is, will it bring value or not? So it's not just a question of cost. Does it bring value or not? Even though I have to pay for it, does it bring value or not? That's the question. And if it brings value, then I I, sh I should do that. And I shouldn't be doing the couch potato thing because it's not for everyone. Yeah. 
And so those are very common traps that I see among my peers. There's there's obviously hundreds and hundreds because I can tell you many traps that I've gone into and we didn't even talk about today. Uh, so let's uh, dive into the last topic I wanted your expertise and your insight in because you've talked about this many times, growth mindset yeah. and, and scarcity mindset. So tell us a little bit about that and uh, where do we have growth mindset and where do we have scarcity mindset? I'm talking about the community at large of physicians. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to start with the growth mindset. You know, I think we have such a great growth mindset around our patients. You know, we want the best for them. We're doing everything we can to support their needs. You know, we're doing so much for teaching our next community and generation. You know, we have a growth mindset uh, when we are sitting on committees and when, when we're doing research work, it's altruistic and it's really contributing value and, you know, it's all value add. At the same time, I haven't always experienced growth mindset in the culture of medicine. You know, it's way more lone wolf culture. You know, it's way more cutthroat in the back end. You know, like I sit on a number of wellness committees and, you know, I have also a big wellness interest. I mean, we, we know that there's a lot of backstabbing that happens. You know, a lot of people are very competitive and, you know, it's hyper achievement culture that that exists, you know, and uh, we, we often do put wrong things on the pedestal. In the era of social media and, and comparison competition, I think, you know, it's so easy to get very worked up and hyper competitive. And I'm sure you've been there. I've been there millions of times and still correct myself. You know, somebody else succeeded. So we don't feel happy about it. You know, we say, well, they got there by chance. They worked extra hard. Maybe they're just they're bad people. You know, they're money minded. You know, we, we I don't see the culture of celebrating success. You know, I, I find that it's very restrictive mindset when it comes to that uh, across the professional community that, you know, we, we still need to work quite a bit towards celebrating other success and creating a network that's not a blame shift culture, that's not a lone wolf culture, that's not, uh, you know, cutthroat culture, that's not a backstabbing culture, but an inclusive, broader, positive growth mindset culture where, where it's not you versus me, but it's us. Uh, I think there's enough out there for everybody to sort of progress in this end. So I think, you know, growth mindset is something that we need to take on as a challenge to build uh, and and really make it a part of our culture. And you know, I think that's a huge uh, task that all of us collectively have at hand. I've taken a lot of uh, reflections out of what you just said there, for sure. So um, Ketan, thank you very much for spending this time with me today. I know you've got lots of things to do. You're a busy physician like we all are. Uh, so thank you very much for, you know, sharing your your expertise, your insight and your, philosoph your philosophy around this. And so thank you very much, Ketan. Uh, thank you for being on my show and thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. The pleasure is mine. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And at some point it became a little bit philosophical, but I think that was the point. Uh, the point of this podcast is to have you reflect on the different topics that we've talked about. And maybe there are things in your life that uh, you find uh, perfectly well, but there are th some things in your life that you think you may need to change. And uh, some of that may be traps that you weren't aware of. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, please share it with your colleagues, with your friends, um, and with your family if you must. And again, if there are any feedback or any comments, please, you can email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com and uh, talk to you guys next time. 
How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.